0: I think that there's also a deep kind of societal problem around, I, I think we're, we're taught something that's more adversarial. I think we are taught from a, an early age, almost, that um, we need to, that somebody else, well, that conflict has to be about win-lose and that someone else needs to fix it for
1: us. Hi, I'm Carlos co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and welcome to our Happy Startup community podcast. Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world. Whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival, or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats, each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you, and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope they become a source of inspiration, learning, and connection. Enjoy. Learning about non-violent communication has been a game-changer for me. As a child, I'd always struggled to deal with difficult emotions, and so with either lash out in anger, or, what was more often the case would cry with frustration. I learned that expressing emotions was weak and so I decided to suppress them. However, in doing so I limited the development of my own emotional vocabulary and the abilities to practice empathy. This was ironic since I had a deep need for connection and community. In a world that feels ever more divisive and disconnected, the ability to practice deep empathy is fundamentally important. In this conversation with Becky Takuna, Happy Startup Community Member and Professional Mediator, we talk about the importance of empathy when helping others navigate periods of conflict and change. We discuss the difference between empathy and sympathy and how when we judge and try to fix other people's emotions, we end up invalidating their experience. We then lose the opportunity for deep connection and make it harder for them to process what they're feeling and then move forward with clarity. Sometimes we just need to sit in that turbulent space and feel what needs to be felt without judgment or resistance. This takes practice and requires us to learn more about why we feel what we feel. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, my back is uh, was better yesterday. My sister is a or um, well, training to be a physio uh, and. She had her uh, a massage table and did the treatment on me yesterday. Straight after that, it felt really nice, loosened up, all good. And then later in the afternoon and today, now it's just gone a bit funny again. So, um, oh, that's yeah, it's, it's it's really annoying how these physical things can affect the quality of your thinking and your mood.
0: Yeah, back pain is um, it's kind quite, quite all in. Uh, what's the word? which just takes over, I think, doesn't
1: it? Yes. Well, Lawrence, um, he's he had a uh, an accident uh, many years ago while he was travelling around New Zealand, which really did bad, bad some bad damage to his back, and he's always suffered from back pain. So I think it's um, he's he's been saying that yeah, it's it's it is debilitating, and you have to really look after your back and i think from his perspective as well it's it's also a very good signal of when he should rest yeah and when it's time time to stop which some many of us uh without those kind of uh, physical um warning sim (laughs) signals forget to do that resting until it actually falls all falls apart
0: yeah yeah we get pain for a reason don't we that warning signal
1: yes exactly this and it's um and again, a link to a podcast I did with Max, uh Max St. John a couple of episodes ago. Mm. It's learning to listen to our bodies. Yeah. Um, and and learning a new way of listening, I think, is is the, the thing that I got from it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Listening
1: inwards as well. Yeah, it's important. Yes, so much. Unfortunately. Especially when you've got kids. Yeah. You get a bit too noisy and you don't get a chance to really sit down and listen to yourself as much.
0: No, I feel like it's a it's a luxury. I don't afford myself very much anymore. It shouldn't be a luxury. You, know, necessity. <laughs> you don't need to go out the window with your kids, I think. that. Um, exactly, that and, exactly. Yeah.
1: And it is, that, it is that challenge of like, you know, these little things that really require your attention and you you also have a vision for who they should be and you want to make sure that the best they can be yeah. uh, and how that can then drown out actually not only drown out make the idea of looking after yourself seem selfish
0: yeah yeah absolutely um and then when we do reconnect with what we need and particularly if it's kind of what our body needs, it's amazing how much more we're able to give afterwards. Yes. We forget that until we do it. I went to a um, salsa class the other day, a couple of nights ago, for the first time in about I don't know, well since kids in anyway, our first time in maybe eight years or something. And I felt so good for it, just to be doing something physical uh, where you just immerse yourself in the you in the moment, and you're not thinking, you're not looking after anyone. <laughs> um, it's important.
1: I um, there's a podcast that's going to come out next week, uh, and what, through the one of the things that came out of the conversation was the idea, you know, like on planes, give oxygen to yourself before you try and help others.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Or else, yeah. you're not going to necessarily help in the best way you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if we if we're disconnected from ourselves, we often can't kind of help others. Will connect to others or help them to connect to themselves. Oh yeah. yes, mm. and
1: that that's a that's a nice little link to your NVC work.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, and self self empathy. Um, self empathy.
1: Yeah. Uh, but before we jump into that, um, yeah. let's give let's give people a a bit of an idea because this is this is the second time we're trying to record this thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's, hope, let's hope it's an improvement, not a uh, you know.
1: <laughs> Fingers crossed, the, the internet gremlins aren't going to be against us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let, let's go through the routine again. Let's see what we can remember. Of what we said yesterday. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. And yeah, let let let's give uh, this listener who's who's joined us a bit of a um, an idea of who you are and what you do at the moment, and and the journey you took to getting to where you are now.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, in terms of who I am at the moment, I'm and what I'm doing at the moment, I um, live in Brighton. I went self employed. Um, became self employed at the end of last year so it hasn't been that long um and i my work focus is i i help organizations to um to to build i guess more empathetic or empathic workplaces so more empathic organizations people and the the teams and that they operate within and the the most the primary way i do that at the moment is through mediation so i go in and um when a conflict has escalated quite uh, quite far it's generally gone nuclear i um i i facilitate conversations uh, between the warring parties so it could be two people or it could be a whole team that's um in conflict with each other or with their manager and i help them to to talk to each other and to um work out how to how to Build more effective relationship and to work through the conflict um, so I do a lot of mediation and I also do uh, conflict coaching for people that are in conflict or for managers or leaders trying to um, work with conflict to help them to kind of understand themselves in conflict and others in conflict um, and then I do workshops so difficult conversations and uh, communication which you mentioned um, emotional intelligence that assertive conversations all of that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's, a, I suppose it, I do a lot that's about resolving conflict, but what I'm really passionate about is equipping people and teams and organizations to grow through conflict and to transform conflict. So to deepen their understanding of themselves and each other through it and to deepen, um, their relationships through it. So it's the kind of transformative piece that I'm excited about and that I, I love doing, um, and often that can um, impact on how organisations are, are run as well. Um, so there's a kind of a strategic piece in there too, which is exciting. Um, That's where I'm now.
1: Yeah, and you've you've not always done that, um, or or have you? What, what what How did you get how do you get onto this path?
0: So um, I I definitely feel like I've been. Um, in some ways, mediating all my life. I didn't know I was doing that until uh, I discovered the word mediation, which didn't really happen until my early 20s. But looking back then and hearing what my parents or siblings say to me and friends, I think it's definitely peacemaking and mediation is in my blood. And I think um, I, uh, in terms of my journey, I guess I got um, a my mum's from northern ireland she grew up through and lived through the troubles in northern ireland um so that was quite a that was kind of a quite a a, a topic in our our house and you know, i grew up in just outside london um and my dad's from india um and grew up in a in a you know in a, a lot of poverty and um so my i guess that gave me those two things combined gave me quite a i guess an interesting um in social justice and fairness um but also in um in conflict and um conflict resolution um and I'm, I'm a middle child so i feel like i i spent quite a lot of my childhood um mediating probably not very effectively but um whether between siblings or with, between uh, my parents at times um i think that's something about the nature of being a middle child and uh i'm always told by by family members that I, I was always kind of wanting to include people. So I guess that there's values that, that are core to me, that are um, important to me, that that is what drew me to mediation and why I love mediation. Values around kind of justice and fairness in relationships and organizations, inclusion, openness, honesty, compassion, authenticity. So, so it started kind of early, I guess. But then I, I went to university um, and... Uh, had a gap year before that in the Middle East. Um, guess learned a bit about Israel and Palestine in particular. Uh, at university, I became a campaigner. Kind of got really into social justice campaigning through People and Planet um, Society there. And um, and I and I guess I went back and spent more time in the Middle East after university and travelled around quite a lot. Um, and what I um, I, I came back even more of a campaigner, I guess, but um, and wanting to co- to really interested in the conflict there between Israelis and Palestinians, um, wanting to address some of the root causes of that conflict around injustices um, and and the occupation. Um, but I think I was quite driven by anger in many ways. I was quite a kind of a, a, yeah, I was an angry. Campaigner. I used to row with my dad about it all the time because he had a very different perspective on the situation. Um and then uh I I I um, I discovered it was actually an event, in mean, brief, an event that I was doing public speaking when I got back about the situation. And whenever you talk about the Middle East, I think there's always very, you know, as you can imagine, very disparate views on it. And every public speaking session that I did. There would be people that would come along ready to give their view like angry about what i was going to say before i'd even said it or anticipating what i was going to say and um and i had i did two talks and one went kind of really it was quite derailed by that and it was quite adversarial And then the second one was dramatically different. And it was because it was facilitated really artfully by somebody who I found out afterwards was a trained mediator. And at the end of that session, I said to him, what, what, how did you do that? And he told me about mediation and basically what he'd done to transform that, that whole conversation and that meeting was he'd listened and acknowledged the, um, the uh, the anger, the concerns that, that people and views that people were bringing um heard them and and didn't kind of ignore them and so it was a very different space um he facilitated it really well so I discovered mediation I went away and trained as a mediator and it was like kind of coming home realizing who I was in some ways and um I kind of realized there was a different way to campaign that was uh less violent and I mean kind of I don't mean physically violent, but you know, it was based on that was drawing on the principles of nonviolence that I could still care about injustice, but I could listen to um, those I didn't agree with in a different way. And that that's often more effective way of challenging injustice and model a kind of di- modeling a different way to campaign. Um, so uh, and I guess I realized that, yeah, there's violence in in me and there's violence in um, in all of us. Um, and it's not a case of kind of victims and oppressors, or, uh, it's not as straightforward as that. There's oppressors are often victims themselves. So Israeli soldiers at checkpoints, hearing some of some stories there, uh, speaking to some Israeli soldiers and realizing that they're victims too, um, um, of an, an injustice, um, and of violence. Um, and yeah, so, um, and alongside that, I, I, I guess I was interested. I was working in the charity sector at the time, and I, I was getting kind of, I guess, quite frustrated by and saddened by what I saw as a bit of a mismatch between, um, the mission that a lot of organisations, a lot of charities or social um, businesses have, uh, they have a, um, they have a a mission that's about changing the world and um, building a more just world, but that's often not mirrored by their their culture and ha- their values are often not being lived out um, within the business or the charity or the organisation. And so, uh, so staff are often burnt out, unhappy, disengaged, feeling they're not being listened to, they're being done to. Um, so I really wanted to, I guess, with my newfound mediation skills, I really wanted to change that and to look at that, um, building healthier cultures in organisations that aligned more with mission, uh, living out those values. So I um, I moved into a into the field of workplace mediation um, and practiced for for a few years as a mediator, trainer, um, consultant, helping other businesses to and organisations to um, embed mediation or, or handle conflict um, well. Um, engage with their staff more effectively Um, and then I kind of moved into a leadership role so I was director in the mediation company working alongside the CEO and the founder Um, and um, and that was probably the most exciting role that I've had in many ways um, to be managing and supervising a team of mediators Um, and I went on to a couple of other roles so ceo roles in a couple of charities and i guess the reason for that was that i wanted to really be able to shape the values and culture of of a organization and to feel what that was like to actually be leading those organizations and um shaping them um and and for me i guess what i've, I've always thought i've always um believed that mediation skills are probably the most powerful skills that are most effective skills that a manager or leader can ever have because um they're they're quite diverse skills but I think if managers and leaders can can listen so from the outset I often find as a mediator that situations have gone wrong uh conflict conflicts have um escalated because either the way a manager started in role they they didn't listen um or sometimes it's that the other second scenario is that there's crisis or change or something difficult going on in the organization. And at that point that people were lost, uh, in that they're, they're not engaged with and not listened to. So for me, the, um, it was a really exciting to be able to lead a couple of organizations through, um, crisis, change, conflict, um, and, and having listening exercises, uh, Ensuring that taking staff with me rather than um, rather than them feeling done to. Um, so yeah, and then um, to bring you up to speed. Then from there, very in brief, I um, made moved to. I had a had a couple of children and moved to Brighton. In the mix of all of that, and decided to um, go go freelance in the autumn last year. Um, I guess wanting to bring together the leadership experience which I really loved but but also with the bringing it together with the mediation stuff and going back to being a consultant um but primarily supporting leaders and managers um to work with with conflict and challenge more effectively um yeah so uh that was probably even longer than the first time around, <laughs> no
1: it's great I think uh so the the story I heard there was there was this this original um, instinct for um, a need to be the mediator, um, to be the person to to keep the peace or, or restore the peace. Uh, and so yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and then there was this this drive, this energy, or this need to. To campaign for social justice and to to and this need f- to see fairness in the world. Um, and, you, and you try to do that in certain ways, but you, you recognize the violence in yourself and in people when they're trying to make things happen. Uh, and yeah. it sounded a very, you know, th- the thing that's jumped out with me, for me in that story was this experience of two scenarios where one scenario, there was a lot of conflict, and in another scenario, because of the way this person seemed to masterfully mediate the, the situation, it was a completely different experience, and that's something that um, switched a light bulb in your head, it sounded like. Which was the scenario?
0: Which one was that? I think that? this was the, the mediator
1: that you were talking about, where you gave a talk, I think, at uh, a... Uh, I think oh, you were talking, yeah, yeah. Sorry, talking about right. Palestine, yeah. I think, or there seems yeah, to be two situations right. there. And yeah, and yeah, and you saw the I'm. power of of being of listening and giving space yeah. to, to for people to be heard. And and the big thing yeah. there, I think, is this idea of empathy and to be able to, yeah. to create empathy and and to feel. Um, unpleasant emotions, uh, rather, yeah. and, and understand them or accept them rather than squash them, um, and, yeah. and, and or, or dismiss them. Which kind of, for me, leads on to one of the reasons that sparked this idea of talking to each other on, this, on the podcast was your article about the fruit fly. Yeah, yeah. do you want to share that with, yeah. with people just to, so yeah. they understand? Um,
0: yeah. So I've got a, a five-year-old son. Who's a, a sensitive, very sensitive little boy at times, <laughs> and um, I, uh, recently he, um, he I, he's been teaching me a few things, lessons about empathy um, that uh, have been really kind of um, en- enriching for me and inspiring for me. And one was um, I wrote that article about was he came downstairs uh, crying his eyes out um, and holding a little dead fruit fly in his hand. And he was crying because he'd killed it by mistake, um, and it, it was a quite a profound moment for me because I uh, it had echoes of what I was like as a child, where I was always uh, rescuing animals or insects, stag beetles, trying not to cycle over ants, trying to <laughs> you know trying not to uh, you know trying to be nonviolent, I guess, from an early age, um, and. Uh, so he he was really distraught that he'd killed this fruit fly. And he want he he was also distraught at the thought of putting it in the bin. And he um, wanted to bury it, basically, <laughs> bury it in the garden. He'd seen, a, I think, a TV programme, Bing, where Bing had killed a butterfly and they buried it in the garden. And I think I think that was probably in his mind or it shaped this. So um, it was a really, it wasn't nice like this. It must have been a couple of months ago, but it was a really, it was dark. And it was, it must have been a few months ago, actually, because it was dark, cold and rainy. And um, there was no way I was going to go out in the garden and bury a fruit fly with him because I had my two-year-old to look after at the same time, um, and and so I was really torn because I beat my what I nearly did, and I think what often we do in those kinds of situations, particularly with children, but with adults too, I think, is in the face of strong emotion like that, that let's face it, isn't logical um, in that in some senses of the word it was just a fruit fly, we want to kind of take away the stop, stop the emotion, uh, minimize it, you know, say, don't worry. It's okay. Only a fruit fly only lives a day in a way. It would have died in a way. Don't worry. Um, it will be fine. Uh, let's just move on. Or let's kind of go and play distract all these techniques that we use. I think when someone, when we're feeling uncomfortable with the display of strong emotion and what I, so I had to kind of uh, stop myself from doing that. And what I um, realized in that moment was that what he most needed was very simple, really. It was empathy. It was, and by empathy, I mean that, because I I see it's very distinct from sympathy, but the ability to understand and care about what someone else is feeling, but not try to change it or put my own spin on it or minimize it or judge it or evaluate it, just be present with him and ask him things like, or you know, notice that say, "Oh, it looks like you're you're really sad about that, and that's really difficult, isn't it?" And what um, uh, what what do you what do you need? You need a cuddle, um, and just noticing kind of how he was feeling and letting him experience that and slowing it down in some ways rather than trying to move on. Um, and for, for me, that's quite a it it really connects with a lot of the work I do with um, adults who are in conflict mostly at work um, where so often I think what people do in the situations where they experience they see strong emotion is they either kind of well they judge it in some way they either sympathize and get on board with it but in some ways that's a very disempowering approach because you're take trying to you're making it about you when you sympathize, I think it's like, oh, I would have done the same thing. Oh, I had something similar. Oh, you poor thing, let's take this away. Um, which is quite disempowering for the person. Or or they kind of judge and evaluate and critique it. Um, and I think empathy is a is is far more powerful but probably because it's empowering and, and through giving space to some, someone, and it's a silly example, really, the fruit fly, but for a five year old, that was a profound thing, I guess, starting to learn about death. Um, and, uh, and that's complicated. So letting him sit with that and sitting with him in that kind of complexity rather than trying to take it away and devalue it. And then through that, after some, a little bit of time, I think then when we do empathize with, how someone's feeling what they might need um and we've allowed them to express their strong emotion then I think they're more ready to they start to kind of shift gear and become go back into a more logical space I guess where they can think about okay what next um what we're going to do about this or then later I was able to have the conversation with him about how fruit flies do only live a day um and it would have died anyway. uh so I was able to have that conversation with him. And now he's able to talk about that quite factually because, um, you yeah, know, he saw a dead fruit fly the other day.
1: Um, yeah. So um, for someone who's listening to this, uh, I think yeah, uh, there's, there's a couple of things that maybe we could just dive into a little bit deeper. Um, maybe just exploring this difference between sympathy and empathy um yeah and another aspect for me is what stops well let me put this one I I personally I observe um a lot of the time people not being able to express empathy and so it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to hear your perspective of why that is you know you talked about uncomfortable emotions or challenging emotions but what is it that stops people from being able to sit with that and to to do what you told, you say you know, to be with with that complexity. Yeah. So um, yeah. So yeah, because a lot of the people it is sympathy. They they feel they need to give, but at the same. time, I always got confused yeah. between sympathy and
0: empathy. Yeah, and there's no great definitions out there to be honest, and they vary so much. So I think it's a great question, and in some ways, through my practice, I've developed my own definitions that um, so that I think are are helpful and more. Or meaningful, but I think great question. So, in terms of the sympathy versus empathy piece, um, maybe it'd be helpful to give a couple of ex- or An example from a case that I worked on not that long ago, which was a, a team in conflict. Um, senior team uh, at face value seemed quite emotionally intelligent, and they all uh, would describe themselves, I think, as very caring and compassionate and empathic, um, and describe themselves and each other, I think they really saw themselves as a very caring team and they really presented in that way. What I realised was that when I actually brought them all together um, to talk about the various conflicts that they were experiencing that had escalated quite far, um, what I realised was that it was sympathy that I was seeing, not empathy. And that was based... So one person um, would if somebody one person was speaking, uh, there would always be somebody else speaking about something difficult they were experiencing from their perspective, there would always be one of their colleagues at any one time would be crying um at what they were hearing. And um and then somebody else would always be handing out tissues to the person that was crying or the people that were crying. It was like a little ritual almost. Um and what what was interesting was that after each person when someone then Had space to respond, or even when I asked them to summarize um, what the person before had said, they were they were listening through the lens of their own experience. So they were projecting a lot of their own experiences on what they were hearing, rather than really doing really deep listening to what that person was saying, thinking, feeling, and why. And um and so uh there was a real absence of kind of that deep, deep listening, and there was an absence of empathy. And I think it was because they were so absorbed in their own stuff. And it kind of comes to your other question around blocks to empathy. I think when we're, so I might try and answer the two together, but when I think when we're often, not many of us are kind of comfortable, I think in um, high high stakes conflict or highly emotive situations. I think for most of us, fight fight or flight kicks in and like, you know, a evolutionary uh, um, survival instinct kicks in where um and there's n- neurological reasons for that what happens in our brain but I think when so for some it's displays of anger that um or feeling anger themselves or displaying seeing a display for someone else and they they shut down they retreat they they want to kind of uh get out of that situation and um and I think that the sympathy piece is a part of that I think it's a block I think that kind of fight or flight thing can be a block to empathy that there's a i think fear can be a big block to empathy because we want the situation to kind of go away whereas actually what empathy is about i think is allowing that person to to feel strong stuff because it's theirs and and it's valid and it's important and it's only through them sitting with it and and then someone maybe help helping them to explore it that that um that they can move beyond it um so sympathy, I think, is trying to fix something. Empathy is isn't trying to fix it. Empathy is is um help me understand what, what you're feeling and why. Um what's so difficult for you about about this this situation. Um and um and in the the team that I described, the the um situation was trans the started to shift and the dynamics in the room started to shift. Um after they learned deep listening, it took about a day of me working with them to really slow the conversations down, to uninterrupted speaking time um, and making sure before anyone responded that they summarized. And sometimes they have to summarize 10 times, even though these were people who were really, you know, intelligent and in many ways used to emotional kind of conversations. It sometimes took about 10 times of summarizing before they, the person could say, you've got it, Um, you've understood. And I got them to switch seats and all kinds of exercises. Um, but it was it was teaching them empathy, really, teaching them deep listening that I think leads to empathy. Um, and uh, But I had to kind of hold the mirror up first and say to them that what I thought I was seeing was sympathy, not empathy. And I think it was a bit of a light bulb moment for them realizing that and then practicing something different. And it was then that I think um, you can start... I think it's in terms of your question about how to help people empathize if there, it doesn't come naturally. Because I see empathy as as a, I guess um, both a I think it's for some it's a strength like a something natural that we're born with that it comes easier to others. But I also see it as a skill that can be honed and refined. Um, but it takes kind of discipline and practice. And I think um, the I suppose there's a if you're imagining a cycle, I think it begins with or often can begin with curiosity being curious uh enough about the other person opening o- asking open questions and coming from a curious kind of mindset um and then i think next is that if we're curious we can do some of that deep listening that i was kind of talking about and i think that leads to an awareness of ourselves and the other person that then i think opens the door for empathy because in my experience as a mediator it's only when we really see the other person's or that party to a conflict really sees the other person's pain and hears it and really gets it and maybe summarizes it um sees it from the other person's perspective that they they then start to feel something i think which is empathy it's that kind of um connection with what they're saying yeah. And then I think it leads to more curiosity. You can then explore more about, uh, and that kind of cycle continues. Um, so I don't know if that answers your questions in a very kind of convoluted
1: way. No, it, yes. Yes, it does. And it also just inspired some thoughts in my head when you were talking about fight or flight and sympathy and and then um, being in your own, in a sense, pain. Um, what I what I came across to for me was, when someone is experiencing a challenging emotion or even a complex set of emotions and exhibiting that, um, they're creating a space. They have this circle around them, this idea of a circle around them where there's a messy space of emotion. And then I, I think of someone who's, who is showing sympathy as seeing that space but retreating from it and retreating into their own space, of messy emotion. And so there's a detachment then. While there's they're trying, they, they feel that they're trying to be in the same place as the other person, what they've done is they've retreated to their own place and then live that experience rather than the other word that came up to me was, was being present. And I think actually what you did was actually said by being curious you then become present which means stepping into that circle of the other person where it is all uncomfortable and and messy but being curious about that space and then that being creating the awareness of ah so this is what it's like to be here yeah. where you are
0: yeah I think that's lovely um, what you've just said. And I think I completely agree with that. I think it's, and I think there's a choice involved there. It's about choosing to be curious and to step into that space despite the messiness and, um, and the present being present is so important. I think um, people often think I'm talking about meditation when they hear mediation, but I actually think there's a really kind of, there's a dovetailing in some ways that I think in conflict work, there's, um, I often use mindfulness kind of techniques um, and practices because so much of it is about. And I did that with the team I was talking about. So much of it is about really being present and noticing our own feelings in a mo in the moment because those feelings um, point to what our needs might be, um, and. But also to be present to and notice other people's feelings and, and needs. Um, so I think you're. I think that's spot on. And I think what you said is true about the messy space and the. I like that about the. the, the in, when we go into sympathy mode, there's a bit of a detachment and um, that we retreat because uh, it feels safer. Um, but there's also, conversely, I think then the strategies we often use if we're sympathising, I think, are about kind of getting too involved. Whereas I think empathy manages to be present but without taking over. So there was another little you know um example from my son where he um that was different to how this team reacted when they saw each other's pain what this team were doing was they got kind of flooded with their own emotions and then it became it shifted. It all became about them and that's so hard for me to hear that. Whereas recently my another article it was about my daughter fell off her chair it was quite a big bump and she was crying her eyes out it was quite kind of she clearly hurt her head um and other and her back and everything bumping down off their chair and I sat on the floor and was just cuddling her and comforting her while she was crying and my son um who's a bit older who's five as I said he I suddenly realized he he was crying his eyes out too but quietly and he came over and he just gave her a cuddle he was kind of hiding that he was crying a little bit and it was really beautiful what I realized was he, he, he was really kind of, he really cared that she was in pain. It was really deep empathy, but he wasn't making it about him. He wasn't kind of trying to detract from her pain. He just kind of knew it was about her in that moment. Does that make sense?
1: Mm, Very much. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I've had experience that my, Experience like that with my um, my sister, um, and I, and she seems to. I, I, now I understand from what you're saying is like she she experiences a lot of empathy. or she, she's a very empathic person, and I used to think, in a really horrible way, it's like stop crying. It's not you. It's that person. Why are you making it about yourself? But I, I see mm-hmm. now that it it was actually. You know, it wasn't about that. It was just feeling that hurt and trying to be present with what was going on with the other person. You know, yeah. It may, being about them.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And if, so long as it can be turned into, so long as the action that we take, I think, as a result of it, stays about the other person and is empowering. Mm. Um Because I think at that point, there's a, if we're feeling a lot, because the other person is feeling a lot, like I well up if someone tells me a, as uh, something that's really sad or painful for them um but what I work on again I think at that point it's about discipline and practice and choice that at that point I make sure that the what I do or say next is empowering rather than disempowering you know it's not about taking it away or making it about me crying Mm. because they're crying it's about uh, or it's not about poor me it's about or poor them it's about Kind of what, are you, what are you feeling right now? What do you need right now? Um, mm.
1: Yeah. And so um, what, what, is the, what are the dangers or potentially long-term effects of ignoring empathy, of, of retreating or dismissing from your experience mm. of seeing that and whether – I think let's take it in organisations, for instance, because that's maybe why many people might be interested in how it affects their businesses –
0: yeah, I think, well, I think I see it having a really profound um, effect um, it, in that it, it leads to, I think, a, the, the, quite often the antecedent of of it could be, um, a, a seem like a small thing. So often when I mediate, when we strip back all of the kind of layers of what's happened, we might go back to a kind of a really seemingly small thing that had a profound impact on that person. And it's often that um, they, or sometimes it's that they, in a, that moment, they felt like they were shut down um, and they they felt angry or upset or frustrated because they didn't have a voice in that moment. Um, and so I think organizationally, um, it has a big impact and particularly um, where there's quite, there's often big stuff going on, you know, whether it's that there's a, uh, there's important um, projects that are being worked on with significant um, goals, et cetera, and important work that has to be done. And those, uh, those kind of residual feelings have an impact on how people, what what people bring to work and how they do their work. But also I think it, when, when then an organization hits a difficult patch, it's all amplified. Um, So, so often that's when i think there needs to be more opening up and conversations about um feelings and needs which might feel uncomfortable but so often when that's most needed you know in times of where people might be facing a significant change a merger or or redundancies or a financial crisis um whatever it might be or even performance management all of those kinds of things i think Sadly, I think most of the time managers and leaders uh, retreat in those situations and they become quite procedural, they fall back on formal procedures when actually what's most needed is, is humanity and empathy. And um, I, I had to, I've had i had a couple of experiences in different organizations. One was a small business and one was a charity that I, that I, that I was running and where um, we hit financial crisis. And um, and had to I had to manage a team through in both situations through that financial crisis. And it, the learning for me that was that the most important thing I could do was to create spaces for people to talk about the difficult stuff. So just asking and actually in good times as well. I try to do that as a manager to just say in team meetings, is there anything that's bugging anyone anything that anyone needs to feed back to me anything that's difficult and just have a space for people to talk about that but it's even more important in times of kind of crisis or change or conflict so just create a space regularly where it's okay for people to to show strong emotions um and and it's amazing how far that that goes it, um it then leads in my experience it leads to uh, it means that people stay engaged and motivated through those tough times and you can build a sense of team and all, all kind of trying to get through it together rather than uh, people feeling kind of done to um, and ignored or bypassed. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like I went a bit all over the place no, there. But, uh,
1: I think so. There's a way I, I interpret that is when when you ignore empathy um, and you and you retreat from people who are expressing um, complex or uncomfortable emotions, particularly through periods of um, change and uncertainty. But it feels yeah. like you, even before you got to that point, so, you know, there's there's going to be some a financially rocky period or um, there's going to be some restructuring or whatever is happening in the organization. If up to then you've never really given space for people to share their emotions or or to, to be present with other people's emotions it sounds like you create um you've already got a separation between you yeah, and the people probably. and so when the when the fit hits the shan and everything is going really <laughs> badly and emotions are even higher then those walls are going to get even more strong and so when you are needing people to be to be, to be together the most they will potentially be the furthest apart.
0: Yeah, I think that's spot on. And people are mistrustful already um, and don't feel safe. So they're less likely to be open and honest. Um, and that's really destructive for their own well-being and for the organisation because they're then, this is all festering. Um, so it's about, um, yeah, it's about kind of fostering an environment where um, where people are able to be open and honest. Um, about how they're feeling um what's bugging them what they're worried about and and especially when yeah even when it's kind of counterintuitive what I think is quite interesting is you know often when I think uh businesses hit a a difficult period so the the one of the ones I described where I knew that I knew that to be able to for the business to survive um we needed to um really we needed to get money in in terms of credit control we needed to sell uh like nobody's business and secure some big sales and we needed to um uh what was the other thing yeah and we needed to kind of the other side of it was cut cut our cut our costs quite quickly um and so that i guess for some leaders there's a tendency to just go into that task mode and just do it and try and get be speedy you know just we have got to be productive we've got a there's a lot that needs to be done the stakes are really high but i think that the what's most needed in those times is to make people i think to be able to make people effective that so that they can all do those things um there's a need to just look after people's emotional needs because while they're in that emotional place they can't they're in fight or flight they can't be productive they can't think logically so what i did was i create created the spaces for everyone to express how they were feeling etc i was still upfront with them and transparent and all those things but then together as it we we worked out how we were going to do it and i obviously brought ideas into the mix as others did but then basically we the business for a while transformed into you know we had those three functions some people were looking at budget and cut, cutting costs some people were phoning up people that owed us money businesses that owed us money and some people were selling playing to kind of different strengths and things and it, it's amazing i think how much people can achieve even when if they're feeling that stuff but it's been heard, um they, they are then more productive, I think.
1: Um the thing that's sprang out for me is when we are in a state of fear, it's very hard to be creative. Yeah. And so when yeah. you are needing creative solutions and when you are needing people to be able to step up, you what you were saying there, I hear was. You need to have them in a place where their emotions have been. Um, I, I don't want to use the word taking control of," but they are. They've been. They've been processed in a sense. I think. Or been, yeah. They've, yeah. They've been let allowed to flow.
0: Yeah, it's something about. I think it's quite. It's about. Um, I'm a big believer in na- noticing and naming stuff. So, uh, noticing and naming the emotion. So I, what I'm hearing from you, this is important as a mediator, but also as a leader, I think. What I'm hearing is that you're you're feeling really worried and anxious about the future of your role. Um, so it's that kind of noticing it, naming it, normalising it, I think there's another N, is uh, about kind of saying "I completely, a, it's completely normal to fit and understandable that you would feel that at a really stressful time like this. Um, so you're not kind of trying to take it away or say that's, not there's no place for this you're saying it's okay for you to feel that um and i that in my experience just those things you see people's shoulders kind of drop in terms of people they breathe again just to know that it's been validated just to know that they've been heard really heard and and then from that you can explore a bit what what would help you to um what would reassure you or what would help you to uh be able to kind of you know, if, if there isn't any reassurance, it would be it's like, well, what can we do to enable you to deal with this messy situation where th- there is a lot of risk we're all facing, we're in uncertain times, but we also need to work together. What can what can you do? What can we do? What do you need? Um so you can then explore and problem solve because you've shifted a bit. The emotion isn't what's driving them. Um mm-hmm. it's there, but they can um they and, and in mediation, it's amazing how people can never quite believe it until they experience it or see it, I think in a role, even if it's a role play. Um, but there's a, I'd say probably two thirds of a day, if I bring two people together is about the tough stuff. It's about the now and the past and the strong emotions. Mm. Um, but it's amazing how when they've heard each other and empathised and connected, they've and heard each other's feelings, understood the impact on each other. It's like a, a, a switch is, flipped Mm -hmm. almost and suddenly their brain is they start to problem solve without even knowing it they start to think about the future and the what what ifs and the how they could work better together because they're out of um destructive conflict mode they're out of fight or flight Mm -hmm. emotional space that we get stuck in
1: i i the image i had in my head is this like a really rough sea a turbulent sea huge waves water crashing onto your little boat and then Mm. what happens is when when you're able to ride out that storm and then the the sea flattens you get to see actually the island was just over there that's where you need to get to it's so clear but until then when the waves were getting in the way and everything was going up and down and you're right in the thick of it you couldn't see it because the the emotions were in the way or you you were lost in those emotions
0: yeah, I I um I love that analogy. I think that's beautiful and really um really apt. Um, and it feels like it's going to be like that forever. It feels so rocky or stormy mm. that you can't, as you say, you can't see beyond the waves. Um, yeah.
1: So um, for someone, well, actually, you know, we now, you know, we've got said this is what happens if you don't actually address these things or you don't try and practice this this idea of empathy with people and. and and the practice of deep listening, why is it you think that people don't practice empathy? What is it you, well, you know, are there are a couple of things that you've identified that you've seen in your experience that's been the blocker for people mm. in empathy.
0: Yeah, good question. Um, I I think that there's a, I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of societal reasons. I think I think that we're not, taught empathy i think it is a skill that could be learned um uh some people will never be deeply empathic but they can learn they can learn to practice empathy i think um and i think it changes you when you do and i think we're not taught it enough so um in schools in workplaces and i i i also think there's um i think that there's also a deep kind of societal problem around I, I think we're we're taught something that's more adversarial. I think we are taught from a, an early age almost that um, we need to, that somebody else, well, that conflict has to be about win-lose and that someone else needs to fix it for us. So I think that goes from children in the playground um, going to tell a grown-up or a parent or a teacher that someone's been mean to them and expecting that teacher to tell the other person off um, and then i think it continues in the workplace people do the same they expect their manager to tell some tell the person that they're wrong the other person that they're wrong um and um and then we see it in terms of government and parliament and how decisions are made and in the criminal justice system and i think there's a there's that that honest dialogue, dialogue face uh, face to face sorry um, direct dialogue is um just it, we're not taught it i think and um and i think it is goes back to so i think it's something about um we're almost hardwired not to do it um because the more if we get when we get a third person to uh intervene and s- sort it out for us and in uh, in workplaces that's through formal often formal procedures disciplinary procedures or grievance procedures maybe bullying and harassment procedures um we we then don't get to have the connection with the person we're not actually seeing them as a human being we've labeled them as a as a bully or whatever it might be um and that's kind of how they 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 stay almost we don't have the connection that enables us to learn empathy to realize that there were reasons about why they behaved in the way they did. They didn't maybe intend to have the impact they had. Um, So I think it kind of goes quite deep. And I think, and then there's the other side of it, I think is that, yeah, people, I think we naturally view conflict as something that's dangerous and to be avoided. It's that, again, that evolutionary survival instinct that conversely kind of it is the, doesn't meet our needs. It often we're, it it leads to less connected relationships, I think. Um, where we, you know, we might deeply want somebody to to listen and empathise with us, and that might be kind of what we're needing from in that moment. But we something kind of shuts down in us because we're fearful, or they're not listening, or whatever, and we are angry, and then we push them away. When actually, what we want is is connection. Um, so yeah. So, so it something sounds, about teaching
1: people. It sounds like it's a, there's a combination of a cultural thing, a need to be wrong or right, an adversarial yeah. aspect of conflict, or even in any kind of a situation where you you are with someone who's expressing some painful emotion or some really unpleasant emotion. Um, there's that. I it feels like there's a fear. People are are fearful of that, and it's something that. It seems to be about their experience of complex emotions or unpleasant emotions, yeah. and their ability to yeah. deal with that.
0: Yeah, and and then that is brought. That's what they then bring into their workplace relationships as well as other relationships. And and I think then then what it feels safer probably to deal at the level of behaviours. You know, if there's inappropriate behaviours, whether it's in the school school playground or at work, I think it's very similar. We deal with the people that are um disciplined or spoken to you know seriously about how they're behaving um whether it's shouting or whatever it is but they're the symptoms what needs to happen I think is the treating the working out what the root cause is and the root cause causes are the feelings underneath those behaviors and the needs underneath those um like a volcano I kind of see it as it's um go, not just looking at the lava and the destruction that's being caused but is the why the what's underneath that's pushing all of that up
1: that um, well, feels yeah. like a, a potentially a whole different conversation around NVC and um, being yeah. able to link these yeah. feelings with uh, emotions with needs. Uh, but um, yeah. I, uh, that that could be a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thank you very much. For, <laughs> I think there's a lot there. I've learned really about and, and some really interesting ways of looking at how empathy is isn't being used uh, and what happens when it's is not not brought or not practiced uh, but also the power of 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 using it when particularly when when you get to a point of difficulty or challenge and you need people to come together
0: thank you it's been um it's been really lovely to to talk about empathy for an hour with you and and hear you know, your insights and you you're very good at uh, at practicing it yeah, yeah you've modeled modeled some good active listening or deep listening with your lovely summaries um, It's great
1: <laughs> thank you Nora. i enjoy this and this is definitely a journey that i'm on, on on trying to understand how this works i find actually the true test of whether you can practice mvc or empathy is being able to talk to your parents and not get lost (laughs) in the storm yeah
0: yeah Yeah, it's the relationship closest to home isn't it it's like something um something just so instinctive comes out in us doesn't it
1: well uh, you mentioned the volcano and i think it's that it is there's a power that can get unleashed that no matter how much training you may have and how enlightened you yeah. will be, it feels well. Personally, maybe some people are a bit better at this than I am, but it, it can be hard to control. No, I think you're
0: not alone in that. <laughs> yeah, it's something about we become like children when we're in conflict, and I think if it's with our parents, we we revert back to that childishness, and um, it's like we need to do it almost. It's a um. But yeah, it's a very difficult dynamic to navigate.
1: <laughs> so to finish off, what um, you know, you've been a member now of our community for nearly yeah. seven, six months now. Um, yeah, and I'm curious to find out, you know, get for you to well to share what what has been useful for you, uh, being part of the Happy Startup School, and and mm-hmm. how you came across it. You know what what what. What attracted you to, to joining us?
0: Yeah, what well, it's been um, it's been a great experience. Um, I well, Brighton's. I've only been in Brighton for three years, um, and I only became self employed, as I said, kind of maybe eight nine months ago, so end of last year. And um, so, from a work perspective, um, Brighton's a new community for me. And what I really um, want, wanted, I guess, was to was the community aspect? I think that that's one of the things that Happy Startup School I could see it it provides. It was I was attracted to the, the being able to connect with like minded people, um, people maybe at similar stages and different stages of their journey and setting up businesses, um, and um, and that kind of support and solidarity, and inspiration element, I guess. As I'm I'm in that process of setting up a business now. Um, and I, I found it. So I think the, I think I, I think I discovered you on LinkedIn. I, I can't remember, but I, 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 was kind of following stalking a little bit and then I came along to an ideas cafe. I think it was probably beginning of this year in January. Um, and loved it. I loved the approach The, uh, I love the approach that's practiced there around, you know, again, it's not kind of, it's not jumping straight into advice mode. It's kind of group using kind of some group coaching techniques and, um, uh, but but punchy and very not punchy in a violent way. You know, <laughs> quick uh, and effective, um, productive still. So I really liked Ideas Cafe, and then I became a member because I think you had a good good offer on at the time. And um, I, what I've really valued is Ideas Cafe meetups in Brighton um, and kind of hearing other people's journey. I love the way that you know it's a mutually supportive group. People are giving and receiving in that space. And similarly, the mighty networks I've really loved actually just being able to—it's been a great support, a a great source of support. Both like little practical things, like if I need kind of to know about online accounting software, being able to post a message and lots of people coming back with um, very generously with advice. But also, it's kind of quite a good emotional support too. I think there and um, and and in Ideas Cafe, so uh I've I've loved it um I yeah like the way that you do things
1: excellent thank you
0: oh and I love your podcast (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if I I listen to it but I have listened to your podcast and that's been that's a nice part of my commute my 20 minute walk into platform nine in the mornings I always listen often listen to your podcasts Um, and I really really like that and that enriching
1: thank you very much well I'm no this one I, I feel is going to be a very valuable one I think it touches on a on a challenging topic for people but i think it gives them a window of into how they can they can connect better with other people even despite difficult circumstances and through that i think creating even more uh powerful connections and 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 what that's what we're about the community as well that's why i love this this stuff is—it's about how can we bring people together so that we can support each other, whether it's celebration or or creating spaces for people to feel that they need to feel. Yeah, it's lovely. You're doing really well. Well, thank you very much again. Uh, thank you for the conversation and and spending time with me. And well, uh, have a lovely summer, and I hope to see you at the next Ideas Cafe or bump into each other. Platform nine
0: yay thanks carlos lovely to chat
1: thanks for listening to this happy startup school community podcast if you'd like to find out more about what we do then check out our website thehappystartupschool.com if you believe that there's more to life and business than making money and waiting for retirement And if you want to surround yourself with other like-minded change-makers and entrepreneurs who want to make money, do good and be happy, then please come join our community. We offer courses, conversations and content that will help you follow your own path to success. Whether you're just starting out, struggling to grow your business or in a position of leadership and trying to work out what's next. There's no reason to face these challenges alone when you can be supported by people like you who want you to succeed and from Friday the 13th to Sunday the 15th of September we're hosting our happy startup summer camp while we know that strictly isn't summer the event also isn't just for startups at its core summer camp is about learning play and friendship we want to promote personal growth in business we advocate holding our work lightly so that we can be more creative and we know that we can't create impact on our own we need to work with others that give us energy and support. As well as inspirational talks, we've got activities and experiences such as Blingo Bingo, Botanical brew making, Yoga, Mindful Raving, Saunas, Hot Tubs, Lake Swimming, Japanese sword Fighting, Qigong Breathing and Dancing. Lots of dancing. To find out more about Summer Camp, please go to happystartupsummer.camp Business doesn't have to be boring. And it definitely shouldn't be lonely. I hope you can find your tribe with us this September.